Leviticus 1.1, now the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tabernacle of meeting, saying, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of the livestock, of the herd and of the flock. I don't know how many of you were raised on a farm. I was. I tend to think in agricultural terms quite a bit. And so this really relates to me. Some of, some of you may not as much, but... Verse 3 says, if his offering is a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own free will at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord. And then he shall put his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. So if somebody has a sin issue in their life, you know, um, and, and in that culture... You know, they didn't experience forgiveness like we do. So if there's a sin issue in their life, it separated them from God and it released judgment under their life. And there was some sin that was actually sin unto death. You died from it. Cursing your parents. Adultery. Those were sins that you would die for. There was no redemption from that. Um, those were pretty serious things. There's actually still sin that will affect you differently than some other things. You know, there's this pat little phrase, well, sin is sin. Well, you know what? Murder is a little different from sealing a cookie from the cookie jar. And the consequences are different. And, and John talked about that in the first John 5, I think, that there's sin unto death, there's sin not unto death. And so there's sin that brings different consequences to your life than others. So that little sin is sin. Well, that's obvious. Sin is sin. But to say that it's all the same, that's, that's, not, that's not true. Some of it affects you very differently. So they would come and they would bring an animal to the priests. And they'd put their hand on the head of the burnt offering to transfer their sin to the animal. And it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement. So under the old covenant, the hand on the head was uh, represented a transfer of identity. What was due to me now will fall on the animal. The animal will pay the price. Uh, it's, it's a transfer of, of a curse or sin and unrighteousness. Literally, the hand on the head of the animal transferred all everything you bore guilt for in a representative sense to the animal, and then the animal paid with his life. And it represented a transfer of our sin to Jesus and him taking and giving his life instead of us having to give our own. It all represented Jesus, but they had to do it continually. In the new covenant, the hand on the head represents a transfer of identity and blessing, and healing, and righteousness. That's why I wanted Gerald's hand on my head. Because I, when you read in, in Hebrews 6, it talks about laying on of hands as one of the foundation stones of our faith. Laying on of hands is a big deal because, and, and I think I've told you this story before, but I'll, some of you probably weren't here, so I'll tell you again. I get to tell stories because I have the mic, right? I'm just, no. I'm, um, I get to tell stories because I'm old enough to be a storyteller. 
But I was, uh, before I knew the Lord, I was a drug addict. And uh, I, I had a nine-year drug habit that not everybody knew about, but the people that ran in my circles knew about it. And, uh, and I lived on speed. I, I popped speed like uh, uh, some people pop aspirins or Tylenol. I popped speed. I was, I, was, I was ADD before that, but I popped speed and I was uh, always running, you know. And uh, so when I got saved, the Lord set me free from my addiction to drugs. And I've never had a desire to serve, to, to put drugs in my body since then. But it had taken a toll on my body. My resting heart rate was in the 90s. I already had a long history of heart disease in my dad's family and both sides of the family. And so I knew that I had damaged my heart. And I went through a lot of healing, but that remained. And so I was uh, living in Virginia, and I was reading, uh, I was drawn to... Uh, to study people who operated in faith. Uh, I'm, you know, faith, I, I, I'm a man of faith. I believe, uh, you know, that what Jesus died to bring us into another realm of life. And, and, uh, and so I'm reading this book by Norval Hayes. And Norval Hayes was a, a man of faith. I just went through his city, by the way, on the way to Florida, Cleveland, Tennessee. And, uh, and, and, and it's, it was talking about some of the miracles that he saw God do, do and some, some, one of them had to do with the heart, and so that reminded me, so I took my pulse. It was about 93, 94 beats a minute. And I'm like, Lord, you know, if you want me to, to do everything you've called me to do, you're going to have to either heal my heart or give me a new heart. And that time when I did it, he spoke to me, and he said, if you have normal pray for you, I'll give you a new heart. I'm like, Awesome, cool, that's exciting. Then I started trying to figure out how I'm going to get Norval to pray for me, and I'm like, this was back before you could just Google things and look things up. I'm like, how in the world am I going to get Norval to pray for me? Lord, if you want that to happen, you're going to have to set it up, because I don't know how to make that happen. So a couple of months later, I went with, uh, my wife and I went with Peter and uh, his wife down to Richmond to a Hagen meeting, and, uh, and, and lo and behold, we're sitting about where, about where Mary is right there in the third row. And during worship, Peter elbows me and says, look who's, walking, who's just walked in. And down the aisle came Norval Hayes and uh, sat in the front row right where Zach is. And my hair stood up on end. And I'm like, this is a set-up job from the Lord. And so at the end of the meeting, I just went up. He was still sitting down. I said, Brother Norval, the Lord says if you'd pray for me, he'd give me a new heart. And he said, well, okay then. Put his hand on my head. Blessed me. Asked the Lord to give me a new heart. I left rejoicing. Checked my heart rate. 72, 73 beats a minute. And it's been there ever since. <laughs> Didn't feel nothing. It wasn't about what I felt. It was my, about my faith. I, faith comes by hearing. I heard God. Faith came. And I received what God had for me. Amen? But after years later, I'm going back and I'm starting to connect the dots with some of the, those 
uh, signs and healings and things that have happened in my life. And I'm like, you know, Lord, you could have just healed me. Why, why, was, why did you have to set that thing up with Norval in order for me to get a new heart? You could have just done it when I asked you. And he said, oh, you thought that was just about you getting a new heart. I'm like, oh, okay. So he, the Lord wanted Norval's hand on my head. You understand? There was something more than a new heart that was released to me. There was something that he carried that God wanted me to be touched by. You understand that, what I'm saying? So it's not just about what you experience in the moment. It's about something that's released to you in seed form that begins to take root in your own life. And so I've had a, I've had a value for men of God that carry something that's, that's, uh, that I feel connects with my spirit to put their hand on me and to release something to me that I can then begin to walk in. I did that with R.W. Schambach years ago. He's another man of faith. And some of these, some of these men and women of God who, who carry something, because when God created, I wasn't going to talk about all this, but I will. When, when God created, he put the seed of reproduction inside of everything he created. And when you understand, you know, I, like I said, I come from a farm, so I understand seeds and planting and harvesting. And so when there's a man or woman who carries something of the kingdom and you get to them to release something to you through the laying on of hands, there's a seed that's planted in you, there's released in you of something that they carry that can begin to take root in you and to grow and to develop into something powerful in you as well. You understand why, why laying on of hands is such an important foundation stone? It's because how things get transferred through faith in the kingdom. And that may sound weird depending on what culture you come from, but I know it's real because I've seen it happen. I've literally come into, in the, into the presence of some people who have touched me and something shifted in me, and I left different than I came, and I carried something that I didn't have before. So you can't, I mean, it's not a magic formula. It's something that needs to be led by the Spirit, and, and, and something that your, your hunger, your appetite for kingdom things needs to lead you in. Does that make sense? So that's why I knew that it was important for me to get Gerald to put his hand on my head, because this brother was a black bumper Mennonite stuttering young youth pastor back in the 50s when God began pouring out his spirit on a youth camp he was at up at Strawberry Lake, Minnesota in 1955. If you want to read the story, he wrote a book about it called Following the Fire. Seven days that absolutely revolutionized his life and the lives of many other people around him and launched him into a, a ministry where he became a, a patriarch uh, in, in uh, some of the circles that we run in. Anyway, so uh, let's go on. Verse 5 says, He shall kill the bull before the Lord, and the priest Aaron's son shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood all around on the altar that is by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So the blood, uh, of the, of the blood of the bull or the goat or whatever animal it was, uh, 
represented the blood of Jesus. And so when they offered up this animal on behalf of sin uh, to release people of, of their sin, <coughs> to cover their sin, actually, for until the next time, uh, they would sprinkle the blood all around the altar that was by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So the door going into the tabernacle, the door leading into the presence of God was sprinkled with the blood of the, of the which represents the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus is God's answer to all of the enemy's assignments against you. It's God's nuclear weapon. It really is. And, I, and right now, in these days, we're coming to a fresh appreciation for the power that's in the blood of Jesus. Not just to bring you forgiveness of sin when you get saved. But to answer every charge of the enemy against you. If you've been struggling with condemnation, rejection, uh, abandonment, you know, all of those things. Listen, if you are aware of what's going on in the world these days, the enemy has doubled down on blood sacrifice. Abortion is a blood sacrifice industry. That's only where it starts. There's a lot more besides abortion that's going on in the dark circles of the earth today. And it has to do with the enemy wanting blood to empower what he wants to, his agenda, what he wants to do. Why is that a big deal? Well, I'll tell you. Because wherever there's supernatural intervention in the affairs of men, there has to be a sacrifice. That's something the Lord spoke to me years ago. And I had no, I had no clue. I'm like, really? And I've watched it, and that's absolutely true. So when the enemy has an agenda, he'll ramp up. His knee, that murder that happened out in Idaho two days ago, John Mast, that was, a, that was a blood sacrifice for something. The only answer to that is the blood of Jesus. To, 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 to cancel out what the enemy wants to do with a blood sacrifice like that, the answer is the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus answers the most grievous assignment of the enemy against you or your loved ones. And, and so we, we, have to, we have to learn to, to know how to exercise spiritual warfare if we want to overcome this stuff. The Holy Spirit will lead you and guide you and direct you, but the blood of Jesus is the answer to all of those things. You know, whenever there's an issue in your family, you you know, we, we see these generational cycles, you know, and, and I could have Conrad tell you a story about his battle to overcome generational cycles in his family and some of the breakthroughs. But the blood of Jesus answers all of those negative things that get into your family line. The blood of Jesus overcomes and answers that and satisfies it and pays off the spiritual debts that have been incurred through our ancestry. So, just, just, to, just to make it real, uh, a few years ago, my wife and I bought a home in Canton, and uh, right after we moved there, I, I started going through a really hard season of my life, 
And uh, I couldn't sleep. Not, if, if you know me, I have a gift of sleep. Jesus loves me because the scripture says that he gives his beloved sleep. And I've never had an issue with, with being able to sleep. But I did then. I mean, just tormented, night after night after night, just tormented and could not sleep and just being bombarded with tormenting thoughts and fears and all this stuff. And I'm like, and, uh, and finally one night I'm like, I'm crying out to the Lord. And the Lord in the spirit takes me into the backyard of our house and shows me a stabbing that had happened on that spot. Innocent blood had been shed. And, 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 and it was a, it, there was a, a spiritual debt because of innocent blood that had been shed right in our backyard. And so I went and I applied the blood of Jesus to it to satisfy that debt <coughs> and to cancel out that claim because of innocent blood being shed there. And I don't know that I ever had another sleepless night after that. I mean, there's nights when I wake up and, you know, God's got something he wants me to engage in, obviously, or whatever. But I've never been tormented in my sleep since that night. Because that's the power of the blood of Jesus to answer any assignment of the enemy against you. And it's really that easy. So, um, the enemy understands the power of the blood. And, uh, and so that's why there's such a ravenous appetite for abortion in our land. It's because there's demonic spirits that need that blood to empower a satanic agenda. And so we have to, as intercessors and, and prophetic people, we have to be, be able to answer those assignments with the blood of Jesus. Verse 6 says, He shall skin the burnt offering and cut it into its pieces. Now skinning, uh, when they brought the animal, not only were they, uh, did they kill the animal and, and, and use the blood to sprinkle, but then they would skin the animal to remove the skin. The old, it represents the old identity being removed. You know, not only did Jesus save you, because of the blood that he shed to bring forgiveness of sin, he took your old identity away. The skin represents the identity. When, when the skin is gone, you can't tell what the color of that animal was anymore, can you? Because it represents the identity of the critter. It represents your identity. That old, that old skin is removed. Your old identity is gone. You're no longer forsaken. You're no longer rejected. You're no longer a failure or any of those old identity traits that were on you. Those are gone when you come into Christ. In, in Genesis uh, chapter 3, it says, For Adam and his wife, the Lord made tunics of skin and clothed them. Not only was bloodshed required for them to be clothed with skin, but they they were covered with the identity of the animal that shed its blood. It represents you being covered with the identity of Jesus when you come to him. Not only did he shed his blood so that you could be forgiven, he gave you a new identity. Your identity is Christ. You're in Christ. You're hidden. Your old identity is gone and you've got a brand new identity, which means everything that was due to him now is due to you. Because you're in Christ. The safest place in the universe is in Christ. There's, there's, there's uh, two powerful pictures of arcs 
uh, in Scripture. And the first one is the, uh, Noah's Ark. And Noah and his family went into the ark. That's a picture of us in Christ. And then the Ark of the Covenant is a picture of Christ in us. So if we're in Christ and Christ is in us, we're in the safest place there is. The only safe place on the planet during Noah's flood was in the ark. So if you're in Christ, you're in this, no matter what's happening in the world around you, no matter what's happening in the, in the country or whatever, you're in the safest place you can be. You're, I'm going to tell another story. So in 91, we moved to Northern Virginia, and I started working. You know, I'm not going to... I'm not going to be satisfied sitting around and just doing religious duties. You know, I, I was my first full-time ministry assignment, but I needed something to cut my teeth on outreach-wise, evangelistic-wise. So I got involved with this ministry that went into the streets of Washington, D.C. on weekends at night. You know, and we ministered to homeless people. We, You know, we did... Uh, Lots of stuff like that. And uh, uh, I didn't realize that I was hitting some triggers in the church where I went because they had a former youth pastor who had a secret habit. And he went into D.C. at night and got shot and killed. And uh, getting drugs. And so when I would start sharing stories about some of the things that God would do in the streets, all this fear rose up in the people and they started telling me, hey, you have no business in there. You have, no, you have a wife and kids at home. You need to stay home and take care of them. What if you get shot and killed in Washington, D.C., you know, at night? Because some of the places were kind of rough. So anyway, uh, I went up and picked up a load of food for this ministry one night at the, the Central Market and, uh, and with, with their truck and and. The, the boss came out to me and says, look, he said, it was just before Christmas. He says, look, he said, uh, I've got a gift for you. This is not for the homeless. This is for you and John. John was the director of the ministry. And he gave me uh, three cases of cider, you know, four glass jugs each. He said, this is to bless your families at Christmas time. I'm like, thank you. So I gave two of them to John, and I took one case home and we drank cider for a while it was good and we got to about halfway through the last one and it just kind of sat there for a while and uh, uh, it, it started turning a little bit you know and it got a little had a bit of an edge to it and so it just kind of sat there on the on the floor for a while and uh, so one morning uh, we get up Amanda Gets the kids off to school, and finally she leaves with the youngest one. Oh, she, yeah, she ran the sweeper and moved the jug and did all that. It was sitting on the carpet next to the refrigerator. And, uh, and then last of all, I get up to leave, and as I walk out the door and close the door, boom! I'm like... We lived in... We lived in a little one-bedroom apartment. It was a temporary place until we found a place. So it was all open. And as I close the door, I hear a boom. And I'm like, what the heck was that? That came from inside. And so I open the door, go back in, and hear that jug had exploded. 
there was glass and, and sticky cider everywhere. I mean, it had gone from here to the front row and embedded glass in the wood paneling. That's how it cut through the bottom of, of the ironing board that was sitting there, through the metal. That's the force that it exploded with. She had just moved that thing a few minutes before. If it would have blown up, who knows what it would have done. Our kids were around it. And I'm like, but it could not explode until I closed the door. So I came to the church with a whole new revelation that time. I said, listen, if you're not in the will of God, you can die in your house. You know? But if you're, in, if you're where you're supposed to be, doing what you're supposed to be doing, you're in Christ, you're in the safest place in the universe. Doesn't matter how dangerous people think it is. If you're in the will of God for your life, it's the absolute safest place that you can be. Amen? If you're in Christ. So, I don't know how I got into all of that. But, out of, but the former person that was covered with shame, with, that it was rejected and abandoned, is gone. You have a new identity in Christ. You are in him. All the favor that's due to Christ now is due to you. All the healing and wholeness that Jesus paid for at the cross is now legally yours because you are a family member. Amen? So in verse 7, it says, The sons of Aaron the priest shall put fire on the altar and lay the wood in order on the fire. And then the priest, Aaron's son, shall lay the parts, the head, and the fat in order on the wood that's on the fire on the altar. So the parts which represent your members. Remember in Romans 6, it says, Present your members as instruments of righteousness to God. You know, your feet to walk in his path, your hands to serve him, your eyes to see through his eyes, your mouth to speak his word, what he wants you to say, your ears to hear the voice of God, what he wants you to hear. All of that, you present your members to the Lord as instruments of righteousness. Uh, so they laid those members out on the, on the fire and they offered them up. The head they put on next, that's your mind, your intellect, your own reasoning ability. That needs to be put on the altar because your carnal mind cannot apprehend the things of God. So that has to be offered up so we can receive the mind of Christ and start thinking his thoughts and getting his downloads and, and get rid of our need to figure everything out. You know, I'm afflicted with that too. I, I need to figure things out. But I know my own natural reasoning can't figure it out. But, but God gives me answers as he renews my mind and fills my mind with the word of God. He gives me divine answers, but it doesn't come by my reasoning ability. It comes, it comes by revelation of his spirit through the mind of Christ that's coming into me on an ongoing basis. So we learn to operate in our new mind, in the mind of Christ, and revelation knowledge. We renew our mind by the word of God. And then God wants the fat. What's the fat? Well, that's a little... Part that you keep for yourself. Well, you know, I want some. I want to serve myself too. You know, I want to keep some things just for me. Uh, I don't know what that is for you. I don't know what you're reserving for yourself. I'm not going to give you a command that you have to get rid of it, but the Lord would really like you to offer it up to Him. Doesn't mean that you can't take a vacation anymore or have a little slush fund or do whatever it is that but what it means is 
it's not in your possession and your control anymore. You've just submitted it to the Lord. Say, Lord, I love you and trust you enough that I'm going to give even that to you. Romans 12, 1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Why is it the body? Because when you offer up the body, he gets everything that's in the body as well. Everything it contains. A living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. In other words, in light of everything Jesus has done for you, it's only reasonable that you should give your bodies a living sacrifice. He's not going to demand it. But it's the only reasonable thing to do in response to the sacrifice that he gave to us. He wants it to be a willing sacrifice. And don't be conformed to this world, but be renewed by putting on different clothes. Is that what it says? That's how some of us grew up. Uh, Be transformed by wearing different clothes, following different rules. No, that's not what it says. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. If you have offered up your life, if you've given your life as a living sacrifice to God, your life is going to testify to the will of God. You're going to prove the will of God by how he leads you and directs you and what he uses you to do. And he doesn't want a dead sacrifice. You know, some of us grew up in cultures where all they talked about was death, killing us. You know, we, all, we just have to die. Well, the death that God requires of us always leads to resurrection. When Paul said, I die daily, he experienced resurrection daily as well because there, Jesus wants a resurrected life. You can't, you can't serve Jesus as a dead person. I've yet to see a corpse serving anybody. Amen? You need to be a resurrected living sacrifice so that God can use you. Um, here's the real secret to a joyful, fulfilled life as a believer. Now, some of us really need to get this because there's people who go through all their Christian life or way too much of their Christian life going from this place to that place to this conference to that person looking for the thing that will satisfy them that they can never get a hold of. You'll never find it that way. Because you won't get it by receiving. You get it by giving. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. This doesn't mean you don't need to receive. You need to receive what Jesus did for you. But then in order for you to live a fulfilled, joyful life, it comes from presenting yourself to him and saying, Lord, I want you to use me now. I'll, I'll go wherever you tell me to go. I'll do whatever you tell me to do. I want to spend my life joyfully serving you. That's where you'll find what you're really looking for. Amen? When you give the best of yourself to him, he will start using you in wonderful ways. I'm almost done. I've got one more verse. This is, this is good stuff. Leviticus is so full of really rich stuff. Verse 9 says, But he shall watch its entrails, entrails and its legs with water. The entrails are the, the, the bowels, uh, the intestines, the inner stuff. And the priest shall burn all on the offer as a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. So this is a cleansing that we all need 
all the time. Let me explain. The entrails, the bowels, speak of our core or gut motives for what we do. Uh, scripture speaks of bowels of mercy. Your, 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 your belly is the seat of your spirit. It's when you're moved with, with holy compassion, it comes out of, the, out of your gut. It comes out of the innermost part of you because that's the seat of your spirit. That's where you feel what's going on in your spirit. And so those need to be cleansed and purified. There's a lot of people who waste a lot of resources because of unsanctified mercy and compassion. Uh, Or don't allow themselves to be moved with compassion at all. There are two ditches to that. In other words, the Lord doesn't want you to go through life just giving away everything you have to anybody that asks or anybody that needs because you'll be going through life broke and you won't have anything. That's unsanctified mercy. But the Lord wants to lead you with his mercy, with his compassion. So we've got to have that cleanse and allow him to purify our motives so that it's the compassion of Jesus. It's not human compassion. Do you understand? And, 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 then, and then they had to wash their, the, the legs, which means uh, constantly where we go, where we allow the Lord to take us is being cleansed and purified because you know what? There's, the world is full of people with problems and hands reaching out for you. It, once, once people find out that you're a person who loves to serve, who loves to give, the world is full of hands that will reach for you and they will overwhelm you and they'll take you into a nervous breakdown, won't they, honey? Because she allowed that to happen to her one time. And, and, and literally where there will be so much demand put on you that you can't, you can't deal with it all. And so you've got to allow the Lord to wash and to cleanse and to purify your motives all the time. And, and, to, uh, uh, and to sanctify what you're giving to him. And so today as we uh, get ready to... Uh, to enter into communion. I want to invite every one of you. Let's stand. I want to invite every one of you. Just at the place where you're at. To offer yourself to the Lord as a living sacrifice. Jesus gave the best of what he had for us. And Scripture says the only reasonable thing for us to do in response is to give ourselves to Him as a living sacrifice. And so if you're, if you're ready and willing for that, I just want to lead you in a prayer. Jesus, I just thank you right now for everything that you've done for me. You took all my sin all my sickness, everything that I was afflicted with. You took all my shame. You allowed them to strip you naked and hang you on the cross. You took all my rejection. My sin caused God, the Father, to have to turn his back on you. And you, who had never been separated from the Father, cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me?
You paid for all rejection, all abandonment. Everything that ever tormented me, everything that took me into poverty and into brokenness, you paid for all of that. And I thank you. Now, Jesus, today, I'm going to respond with the only reasonable way that I could respond to that. I want to offer myself to you as a living sacrifice. Would you take what I offer you? Would you cleanse it? Sanctify it? Kill whatever is of the old nature and resurrect me into a new nature. Let me be filled with the power of your spirit. And I ask you, invite you to use me. I give you my ears to hear your voice. I give you my eyes so that I can see through your eyes. See what you see. See what's treasure in people rather than focus on their trash. See what's hopeful in the future instead of being filled with fear and doom about the future. I give you my mouth to speak your word. I give you my mind and ask you to give me the mind of Christ in return. I give you my hands and I ask that you would use my hands to serve you. Let them no longer be primarily committed to serving myself. I give you my feet to walk in your path. Let them go where you've directed them to go and no longer be primarily focused on going where I want to go. I give you my heart. I ask that you would occupy fully the deepest recesses of my heart, that you'd remove all hardness, all coldness, everything that's not yielded to you. That you would tenderize my heart and let it be filled with what fills your heart. Thank you for all that you've done for me. So, Lord, as we take this and eat this bread today, we thank you. Your body was broken so that we can be whole. So we bless the bread and ask, Lord, that it would release wholeness as we partake in faith. We do this in remembrance of you. As we drink this cup, we thank you that it's the new covenant in your blood. And through it, we ask for a cancellation of everything that we were bound to in any other covenant and that you would release us into the covenant of life in Jesus. And we ask you, Jesus, to come and eat with us and drink with us and that you would 
cause us to come into closer and sweeter fellowship with you than we've ever experienced before. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.